0: Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Coming from California, here's Aaron Alvarado and David Stauffer.
1: Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. It's Marvel movie time, another entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And here to break it down, Aaron Alvarado from Los Angeles. Aaron, how you doing?
0: What's going on, buddy? Well, here we are. Uh, we find ourselves with the twenty-first Marvel Universe movie. Twenty-first. And the t- this is the twenty-first entry in the MCU. Oh my goodness! And my goodness, I am burned out. <laughs> I think I was burned out after ten. So you don't love these. But here movies. we are, twenty-one, going strong. A huge opening weekend for uh, Captain Marvel. Oh, huge! And let's. Yeah, it was. It was very big, and. Um, I didn't like the movie. I'll oh. Just say that right off the You're top.
1: just gonna start with that.
0: That's that's the only way to start. We wow. We gotta pull the band-aid off. Just rip it off. You didn't like it. Didn't like it.
1: Did you go uh, like with it. any friends or family? Did you go by yourself? Yeah, I saw I
0: saw it with my wife. Oh, uh, it was okay. a packed house. Um she didn't like it either. Ooh. So <laughs>
1: it's the same reason? But
0: she's well, I mean, you know, I'm not, if anyone's ever listened to the show before, um, yeah. you've probably heard that I have some issues with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I'm not a big fan of it in general. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like this movie played into all the worst tropes. And, you know, my wife said similar things. It's just like every other Marvel, bad Marvel movie. Um, yeah. And that's, that's what it boils down to me. I mean, we can, we can go into the points, obviously. We will. Like the, the, the bigger contention of what the issues are, but just flat out i i didn't have a good time in this movie so
1: all right a little bit of a little housekeeping first you talked about the box office 153 million domestic 455 Huge. million worldwide okay incredible so, enormous also not all that surprising marvel movies are these behemoths this which just a, an enormous marketing budget and especially since Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the last one leading up to Endgame, Avengers Endgame. So it's this the we had two movies in between uh, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, and that was Ant Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel. Did you even see Ant Man and the Wasp?
0: I did not see yeah. uh, neither the Ant Man nor the Wasp. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, Endgame opens in two months. Okay. So yeah. So this, this is, is our last. last. One. Okay. This is our last movie. So this before. is
1: going to lead us directly right into Endgame. I mean, it's not not chronologically. We'll talk about the the period of time that this movie takes place in in shortly. Um but this is the the lead-in in terms of I guess the the after credits sequence gives us a little bit of lead-in which we won't spoil just yet. But we probably didn't should. You didn't
0: see those so go ahead and spoil it for you me. You didn't
1: even stick around. No.
0: I don't stick around for Did that
1: stuff. Did you like Infinity War?
0: I, I kinda liked Infinity okay, War.
1: Infinity War yeah. was really it was better than it had any business. It was a fun being. movie. Yeah. It was a fun movie. Okay. So I can't I well. can't
0: sit here and say that I didn't have a good time in Infinity I the, War. I like Black Panther. I liked Infinity War.
1: At the very least you get the this end sequence that leads, you know. It's it's actually a scene that they film for endgame. It's a short little thing. A lot of it it's kind of a scene you see a little bit in the trailer, but uh but it has kind of Captain Marvel's introduction. So I think that's worth Uh, that was like the dessert, right? Like that was worth, uh, two hours and 10 minutes of vegetables to get the little bit of a dessert. Now (laughs) let's, uh, (laughs) we should say the critical response to this 80% in Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's got a 60 Metacritic score, which is the aggregated, uh, critic score. That's the website that aggregates all the critics uh, a little bit differently than Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Rotten Tomatoes user scores 58%, which is up A huge amount from its initial uh, number of uh, in the low 30s but they uh, fixed the algorithm I guess and it's at 58% user score. Um, Uh, You're in tech how do you fix an algorithm? Can you explain that for me a layman? I'm so grateful you asked Uh, I there's nothing I love more than doing algorithm (laughs) explaining please do because it's great I mean this is we do this in marketing all the time if an algorithm outputs a an undesirable result you tinker with the algorithm until it gives you the desirable result that is what that is fixing the algorithm is a lot like corking a bat <laughs> it lets you hit more home <laughs> runs <laughs> it's putting tar on a wide receiver's hands or the sticky you stick them whatever <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, pretty funny yeah
0: that was that reminds me of uh you know the nfl draft is coming up and uh, kyler murray ooh. was famously uh I mean, we're, they're, they're talking about him going number one overall. Sure. Apparently now, um, but one of the big hurdles for him was that everyone assumed that he was five foot eight. For whatever reason, that was the thought that this guy was a quarterback at five foot eight in college, and I guess they just measured him and he's actually five ten. Mm. So they well, fixed the algorithm there. They fixed the algorithm, and he's
1: five ten. You just tinker with the mm-hmm. algorithm. Hey, It's five eight. Let's just make a couple adjustments here. Pop it out. It's five ten. Perfect. 58 uh, undraftable. 510 however. 510. <laughs> I mean that's Drew Brees. I mean that's he's a heck of a player. Uh yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that. I love that in college. I mean look, he went to uh, Oklahoma, right? Um and mm-hmm. they're famous for just their measuring tapes there. They're they're you know, it's just off. It's off 2 whole inches <laughs> and they got it wrong. Every place that's measured his height has got it wrong until he gets to uh you know, preparing for the draft which you know right exactly is, the pro scouts get a hold of them. the numbers there's no way um <laughs> incredible that is incredible so uh you don't like this movie we're, we're gonna go into it i want to know what your rotten tomato score is though uh if the critics all the critics combined it's at 80 percent right now it's been hovering mm-hmm. in the late yeah. seven or the uh high 70s excuse me low 80s uh It currently sits at 8. But certified fresh, though, It is certified fresh, which means, yes, that's definitely more positive than negative. So what would be your percentage? If I'm giving this movie a percentage score, it's probably,
0: I don't want to be too harsh on it, because it is a movie. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Okay. Well, Um, is there
1: a beginning? But okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we eventually get to the beginning. Yeah. We kind of start in the middle. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so so, yeah, I I would give it, I would give it about a 35 is what I'd give it.
1: (laughs) 35 percent. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna get into that. I think a
0: 35. I was on the verge of walking out. Yeah. About, about one hour and 10 minutes in. Okay. I felt like I was in the middle of the ocean. Oh my. Uh, on a, um, some sort of deflating raft and there was no, uh, no, maybe nothing you were in the middle in of a lake
1: you crash landed there, your fighter pilot. Um, that's what it felt like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On some but pop- you know, I stuck with it and I made it all the way to the end. You sure did. Well, not to the end part of the trailer <laughs> or the excuse me, the credits, which I really can't believe you didn't do. Um, so I like this movie more than you. I'm hovering around 55 60. I guess 60 is technically fresh, so maybe 59. I can't quite give this a fresh score. Um, there, so I, I did. I did like it more than you, but compared to the rest of the MCU, there's no doubt that this is a weaker uh, entry into the franchise, especially for an origin story, which generally gives you advantage of introducing a character because origin stories are so much fun, and it's from a story perspective, you just have a lot more to work with, a lot more you can do. You're not as constrained. As a second or third entry in a specific story. And so uh, as an origin story, I was disappointed majorly at how they introduced uh, this story. and Primarily because I think that there is a winning formula to these origin stories that Marvel has perfected better than anyone, better than Star Wars, better than any other fr- film franchise. Now, some people might not like their formula that's brought them success. It could might be bland and doesn't take risks, and maybe that criticism is fair, but it works. Uh, Doctor Strange is an origin story that I felt like was certainly part of that formula, but I also enjoyed it very much. Here, while I can appreciate their attempt to do something differently, I felt like right out of the gate, their way of introducing this character was done in such a confusing and convoluted way, especially when dealing with the backstory, that it felt like I had a hard time kind of coming to grips and, you know, like, putting the pieces together of what exactly is going on here and who is this and what's happening till like well into the second act, maybe the beginning of the third act, which is really never a good thing. Um, not with these strips type of superhero movies. And so that from, from the very get go, I actually was really concerned that this was something just careening off of a cliff. I thought that, Oh, this could be potentially very bad. Uh, I did think it got better in the second act and, and in the third act, um, but from the get-go, there's no doubt that there's there's things it, something was amiss. Uh, you've sensed that same thing, but for you it seems like it didn't ever correct itself.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. For me, it um, it felt like it was out of control from the from the start. Actually I think that the very beginning was kind of promising and I like Interesting. I, I thought they were going somewhere interesting with it because right off the bat you get uh, you get it's like kind of a semi training um, introduction. She's trying to harness her powers. Uh, Jude Law is kind of like the mentor, who's um, it's kind of like the whole Batman Begins thing mm-hmm. we've seen a million times. Um, and I thought you know she could be an interesting character because uh, like right off the bat she's got like attitude. She's she's uh, really quippy and funny. And I thought oh this is interesting. I was not expecting this. I wasn't expecting her to be this type of character. Um, and then it just like kind of goes off the rails and. We lose the funny, we lose the fun, but we keep the quippy dialogue, and it's just, it's tonally very odd, and it feels uneven, and um, yeah, I just feel like it started off pretty strong, mm-hmm. very promising, and then it just goes downhill. Yeah, that tone, and it it never, it never corrects itself for so me.
1: It's interesting these these Marvel movies, you yeah, know, they they cover a wide variety of different types of stories i mean like the iron man story uh, at least initially doesn't deal with outer space in any way right i mean you have it's a story that's on earth that's grounded in some sort of reality uh, so you know yes the technology is advanced um but iron man doesn't deal with anything extraterrestrial until the first avengers film uh you can say you got captain america very very similar um and then you have the thor films and uh we have then guardians of the galaxy and then you have the space stuff and the thing that was pretty amazing with guardians of the galaxy uh and then i would say finally the success of ragnarok when the thor films finally realized the formula with the outer space stuff is that you need to be pretty it's that clever quippy not taking itself too seriously but have a lot of fun like we know that we're in outer space and there's aliens and there's you know, wearing very uh, green makeup, and it's absurd. And no, this is not Tony Stark in some Afghani cave who's trying to build, mm-hmm. a, you know, a rocket to get himself out. Like, we're in outer space, so let's have fun with it. Um, Captain Marvel needed to do that. We're dealing with this this backstory that uh, very very few people are going to understand. The Kree and the scrolls, and I, I went in not knowing anything. I never, I mean, I read comics as a kid, certainly a lot of them, but never anything about Captain Marvel. So I, I went in pretty. Pretty blank. I had nothing to go off of, which I like to go in like that because I'm not going to hold it to a standard of the origin story. And so I'm like, okay, great. Tell me the story. And it is a space story that they – I feel like half of the writer's room wanted it to go Guardians of the Galaxy. The other half is like, no, let's do something a little bit more self-serious. And the the result is this combination of like, oh, they didn't fully commit. And it feels like this half-hearted attempt at being funny – but then it's not able to totally pull it off, and there's not enough of it. Now it just bummed me out. It's like, oh, we have at least two examples with Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor: Ragnarok of how to do this, and they couldn't figure it out. And because of that tonally, you, to your point, it was really uneven. It's very
0: uneven, and I think it, it's it's really um, not really fair to judge them against Thor: Ragnarok, sure. especially They're, because that is the gold standard. I mean, right? first Guardians it is the gold Thor- standard, that's tier one. I mean, yeah, and you have. You have the best writer and the best director in the entire uh cinematic universe, as far as I'm concerned, he's the Tygo Atiti's the best out oh. of all of them. I think he's better than the Russo brothers and all of them. Yes. Um so it's really difficult to um compare that to that sure. to the groundwork that they laid, but they they still tried, and I think that was a bad decision. Um that they tried at all or I, I that just, the,
1: or bad decision that they didn't commit to like you because know,
0: even if they committed to it, I don't think that they could pull it off. And yeah, I think that's, that's really where fair. they fumbled it. Um, you know, and I felt like uh, the, the trailer, even starting with the trailer, mm. my first impression was that this this was going to be like a straight up origin story, mm-hmm. serious action movie. Um, and I had no no hint that it was going to be any sort of light hot, lighthearted buddy comedy, which is what we ended up getting. Yeah. <laughs> it was a buddy cop movie um which we can go into later but wow. it's like this is the whole essence of the movie was not represented in the trailer from what i felt just being a viewer and uninitiated um so which can you know that can work good or bad it can and work, it can work to your advantage if you surprise the audience with something good mm-hmm. well, i was surprised but it wasn't with something good it was with something that was muddled and it was just ineffective um so yeah i think it just talking about tone from the get-go they set a tone and they try to they try to um kind of reference back to it throughout the movie but they lose it they lose their their footing throughout the movie because it's constantly changing they don't know when they want to go serious or heartfelt or or deep or whatever and and because of that it becomes muddled um and i understand that they're trying to play on all these different emotions it's very difficult as a writer, as someone that's making this, telling this story, it's very difficult to play on all those different themes. Yes, um, and we, I've, th- that's what we saw on the screen. It's how difficult it is. They they couldn't pull it off, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah. So I think going trying to follow that Thor Ragnarok idea, the the, the groundwork was um, wasn't wasn't a
1: good idea. It wasn't the best choice okay. they made. So I think that yeah. for me, I guess I'm probably I'm certainly over. Uh, or underestimating how difficult that is to pull off um, because I feel like you need to attempt that I, I feel like their attempt was just not committed enough I feel like there are people that were pulling punches in the writers room because they didn't you know for whatever reason they wanted to go have it both ways and I felt like if they just committed to that silliness buddy cop it would have been better yeah now the problem here is we do have a, a main character and this is a problem with the story and the structure uh, in my opinion more than it is the the actress playing but we have a character who doesn't really know who they are because we, and we don't learn this and I'm, we're gonna go full spoilers here so if you're listening and we've already spoiled certain sequences uh, certainly not the ending or anything but uh the big spoiler is probably coming uh, beyond this point so you can stop listening but <clears throat> we have a character we don't realize doesn't have memory before six years ago okay like the the we and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the case. The Brie Larson character, uh, Carol Danvers, or as we were introduced to her, Veers, she's mm-hmm. a, she can only remember six years back when she arrived uh, with the with the Cree people um, that she's training with. This mentor, is Jude Law character, uh, and so she kind of plays the character uh, blank a little bit. While she is quippy and has attitude, there's still kind of a blankness where you don't really know who she is. You don't understand the motivations. And part of that is because she doesn't know who she is. She only has six years worth of memories. Now, I do think as that comes together and gets pieced together, her performance does get better, but it's not really till towards the end when she becomes more of a fully realized character that I feel like I kind of, you know, that the performance is finally starting to come there. And so I'm really excited about seeing what Brie Larson can do and whether it's an end game or the, the sequel to... Captain Marvel, like I think that she's going to be able to play a more well-rounded character in terms of the performance. Uh, What did you think of the way that she played uh, the Carol Danvers character?
0: I should first say that um, I'm a big Brie Larson fan. I think she's an amazing actress or actor, whatever she prefers. But I think she's incredibly talented. Yeah, Um, Academy Award winner. Room, the movie Room. Yeah. It's it's amazing, and it's built off of her shoulders, basically. She carries every scene that she's in. Um, so we've seen her carry movies and be able to um, act dramatically. And she's incredibly accomplished and very talented. This movie, though, I thought she was bad. Oh, wow. Just overall, I thought she gave a poor wooden performance. Maybe comedy isn't her strong point, And maybe they should stick to more dramatic themes, which we know she's really good at. Um, but, yeah, I think it points to uh just a bad performance overall bad directing i think it's pretty obvious that um the director the co-directors were in over their heads in this movie oh there's two um there are two I didn't it's the that. team that it's the team behind the movie half nelson oh um yeah which is a pretty good movie it's a pretty good independent film yeah small though that's the biggest thing they've done as far as i know mm. um this is a huge budget movie this is this is a triple a yeah. tentpole movie And uh, I think the director went over the head Um, because you have, it's not just her. That's wooden. You have Jude law giving a terrible performance, maybe one of the worst performances of his career. Oh, it's very, very bad. And and it's directing, it's writing. And I think this is a movie where you can see, um, or you can just sense that it it had a million rewrites with a million different hands on the script. Mm. Because uh, I think all, a lot of these problems, they speak to, to an ununified vision. And I think that it's, it's what happens when you put a a script, um, into so many different hands and there isn't a guiding force or there isn't a dominant voice in the form of director or co-directors. Um, you need a shepherd, you need someone that's going to coax that story out of it. And, um, I don't think that the people that were in charge of this movie understood, um, what this character represents or how to accurately or how to, how to make an entertaining movie at the end of the day. I just don't think that they understood it.
1: Well, I'm, you know, I, I'm surprised that I even started this pod without uh, actually knowing who directed this film <laughs> or even yeah. watch the movie. <laughs> For some reason, I actually just never really looked up who the directors were, uh, uh, which is worth you know noting here. Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck. Uh, you're right. They've, they're a talented duo. They've made Mississippi grind, which I, that's a movie. I oh, actually there you love. go. It's very, yeah. very criminally underseen, but that's with the, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn, and mm-hmm. it's a it's a gambling movie, but it's a small movie, low budget. Most Very of these small. films are, are all of their filmography I'm looking at pretty low budget, so it's safe to say Captain Marvel it probably has uh, maybe a hundred x the budget of anything they've made before. Um, and so I can't imagine the degree of difficulty going onto a set like that. Not to mention all the hands involved. Uh, you know, you have Kevin Feige and. Um, all of the other producers that are going to have notes and need you to do certain things a certain way. I mean, thankfully, Taika Waititi was able to navigate that. Uh, James Gunn was able to, uh, for the first two Guardians at least. And um, yeah, and so, yeah, it must be difficult. And clearly it was. But <laughs> knowing now that they made Mississippi Grind with Ben Mendelsohn, Makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. uh, why and how they cast Ben Mendelsohn in what, what turns out a duality of roles, a few roles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did you think of Ben in this in this so, movie? So I, I want I have him at the top of my list of the pros. I made a list of pros and cons, uh, the things I liked about this movie, things I didn't like. Ben Mendelssohn's at the top of the things that I like. Now you and I are a little bit in the bag for for Mr. Mendelsohn. Uh, I've never I've never said a bad word about Ben. No, no, and I've <laughs> we've mentioned this uh, multiple <laughs> times in the pod, but you and I bought stock in Mr. Mendelsohn very early on uh, because we sat uh, right behind him in a Sundance screening of the film Animal Kingdom, an Australian film. Um, I was completely unfamiliar with his work before then had never seen anything He would certainly done some us-based work but his career it's safe to say exploded uh post animal kingdom and so for you and i to be there for the premiere in in park city Utah, during sundance and to see him in that lobby and uh, Mm -hmm. i remember just being terrified of him because the character he played was so scary and he's gone on to be in star wars and dark knight and you know now the captain marvel i mean not to mention netflix shows and all sorts of stuff uh and i feel like he brought the levity you know you talked about the you know the, the humor not working for the most part in this uh he's the exception i feel like um the problem is we don't really realize that he's that character until a certain plot point manifests himself when we he goes from being the, the main baddie to being on the good side which unfortunately happens too late in the film i wish it happened a lot much earlier but when he makes that transition he is a lot of fun, and the character is actually funny, and I enjoyed it very much. He just has this voice that, uh, for whatever reason, I think adds to the delivery of his lines to you know in a much more comedic way. So, for me, he was definitely a big pro uh, in this in this film, uh, one of the positives. What, what about you?
0: Yeah, for sure. Ben is great. I think um, also uh, Sam Jackson is mm-hmm. a young Nick Fury. I think he was hilarious. I mean, he, he's Sam Jackson. And I I, f- I found the um, the de aging CGI was not distracting as
1: I thought it would be for Sam Jackson. So I'm
0: very grateful. Yeah, I thought he, for the most part it was passable.
1: What about Clark Gray, um, who plays Agent Coulson? He was also de aged, I think. Oh yeah, he he was very de aged. Yeah, I think for um, him it wasn't digital. They just they pasted on some prosthetic <laughs> eyebrows. They were just I don't I don't know why his was distracting and Sam Jackson's was perfect
0: he was his was not great. I was not a fan of his, but I thought Sam Jackson looked great throughout the entire movie. And to, yeah. to I think he was actually he might have been given a little too much oh. because I feel like they used him as a set of training wheels. Um and I think it to the detriment of the character of uh Carol Danvers. I think uh Sam is such a he's such a presence on the screen. Yeah that it can take away from the actors that he's with. And you know, that's not to say that Brie um, Larson is a great actress. She is, she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But if you give her bad dialogue, if you're not giving her the right direction, yeah. and then you're allowing Sam to do his thing, mm-hmm. he's gonna dominate. And I don't necessarily think this movie should have been a buddy movie. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. Did it need to be? It, it it ends up being the origin
1: story of uh, Nick Fury and of uh, Carol Danvers. Yeah, so that's, that's exactly right. Uh, it's interesting. So you, you think they did it, overdid it a little bit with the de-aging? Is that is that because it was so good that it reminded you of a Sam Jackson from a certain era? And he wanted <laughs> cause it really I, I will I will say that it did that for me. It, he it looked so good. Well, one, I, I can't imagine Sam Jackson should star in any other movie going forward without demanding to be de-aged to that era, which is prime <laughs> Sam Jackson. Uh, I mean, he's great now, but still like he maybe it's I don't know if it was the car he was driving since it was like a mid-90s car in in, in Los Angeles. I think it looked like Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. I uh, certainly it was. Filmed there. It but he's driving and, um, like they could have given him the Jerry curls would have been a little on the nose because he looks like Julius from uh, Pulp Fiction. I mean, I was expecting a John Travolta cameo. The, the 90s references, which we will also talk about, were so, uh, I mean, just uh, heavy handed and, and so prevalent that I'm like, oh, yeah, this looks he looks like he's in Pulp Fiction. And I'm expecting to see a long haired Travolta similarly <laughs> de-aged through mostly through plastic surgery, but similarly de-aged just <laughs> popping in or walking by. I really was like it. I mean, did it look that way to you? Cause that's how I felt the whole time. It was almost distracting how much it looked like <laughs> Sam Jackson. For that it was,
0: one. it was amazing. Yeah. It was actually, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I was, that I wasn't seeing young Sam Jackson up there, that it was all CG. So, yeah. um, well, and yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So let's go into that. The nineties the references. I mean, this is what's fun about, these movies that we're getting that have all this 90s nostalgia is you and I, uh, we grew up in that era. A lot of the people listening to this certainly will have memories of grew up, grew up through that era. Uh, so we can actually have a critical eye because we, we know if it's authentic or not. Uh, we's, I mean, we had mid-90s, which obviously took place in the mid-90s which by Jonah Hill, which I thought they handled the era very well. Here, it was like a wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Hey- did you see that? Did you see that Easter egg? Hey, we're in the '90s. Did you know we're in the '90s? Check this out. Remember this? This was the '90s. We're in the '90s right now. She's on the she's on Earth in '90s. Uh, did it work for you? What, what references did you enjoy? What references were just like eye roll? Like what what was? What's your assessment of the '90s nostalgia?
0: Oh man, it's tough because I you know I do I do have a place in my heart for the n- '90s nostalgia, mm-hmm. um, and I I thought that. Uh, get, it was pretty funny giving her that grunge outfit was that was actually spot on yeah she she looked the part, yeah, um, and what I really appreciated was the music. Mm. I think the soundtrack they went a little deeper on some of the cuts, and I brought this up to you earlier um I don't know if this is one hundred percent accurate, but i from what I recall for about half the movie, mm-hmm. every song choice that they're making for the nineties was by a group that was fronted by a woman. This is interesting. That's an interesting thematic choice yeah. that you're talking about, um, referencing a '90s decade. Uh, there's a lot of great groups that were fronted by women, and then for whatever reason, they changed that theme and they throw a Nirvana song in there during a dream sequence, and it was just like, I couldn't believe it. Like, you had this really cool, interesting thematic choice, yeah. these thematic choices, and then you throw in like an obvious song choice. A nirvana, It's like, oh man, it's just pulling my hair out. It's like, if you're going to commit, fully commit and go all the way, don't give me um Smells Like Teen Spirit or whatever song. I can't remember what song it <sighs> was, but it's just like, I it's know. such an obvious choice. It really is. So yeah, so, so I appreciated some of the 90s stuff, but a lot of it was right on the nose and there was no subtlety to it.
1: And uh it's kind of silly in retrospect. Yeah. You know, and... Speaking of that, that subtlety or lack thereof, you know, there's I'm mean, clearly a theme of this film is, you know, women empowerment, uh, you know, strong women. We have a this is the first of the MCU that is a superhero, uh, the main superhero origin story for a woman. Like the fact that we're number 21 and it's finally happening, happening is uh, kind of remarkable. Uh but it's you know th- that theme is certainly throughout this uh, film, which I would expected, and and for the for the most part I enjoyed. I mean, there's the the women fronting you know the different '90s bands. I I didn't realize until you had mentioned to me. And it's like totally true. I mean, you have no doubt in there. You have Gwen Stefani. In fact, even in a sequence, it is the uh, I'm just a girl in this action sequence, uh, which look a lot of people are going to view that as pretty heavy-handed girl power type of stuff. Uh, for other people, it'll definitely work. I think it helps that I enjoy no doubt I mean, they're like to no doubt during especially during that era um and so like I think just the recall of that song I was like oh yeah I I I dig this jam like this is a cool part in the movie um where you're gonna have you're gonna trigger a lot of these you know proud boy types that are that are just going to be irate at even that suggestion of that um and that's I guess to backtrack a little bit one of the bummers here about this movie not being as good as I was hoping is that in the lead up to this, there was a lot of outcry uh, from kind of, you know, the white straight male that is just like, how dare we have, you know, a strong woman, a superhero movie. You know, it's just like, oh, my gosh, you, you roll your eyes at these guys. They did this with, you know, they've done this with a lot of movies. I mean, Ghostbusters, obviously, was a very well publicized thing. And they kind of leaned into that They and amplified uh, the, in the marketing of that film yeah and uh less on the gender side even with the force awakens the outcry of having a black stormtrooper leading up to it you know i remember on twitter there was a day of that trending and everyone talking about it and so you you root for these movies because you want them to be good and to prove these doubters who have not seen it yet of course wrong and of course in in the case of force awakens of course i feel like they did just that unfortunately ghostbusters was not a good movie and so it's, it's it was hard to defend it and that's similar here um I mean, I liked it more than Ghostbusters, but still, it was just kind of like, oh, no, you, you root for these to succeed, to prove those trolls wrong. But they're just going to celebrate in, you know, uh, in the wake of the, uh, you know, positive but tepid critical reaction. I mean, some of these major outlets are, are actually going pretty hard on the film. And it that I just don't want that to be a victory to the people who aren't rooting for progress <laughs> and representation. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's just like it's like a not a good it's not it's an argument made in not good faith. It's yeah. not that they they have any leg to stand on right. other than it's just they reject the identity and they reject that someone is embracing their identity that is different from them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't respect that. I just think that it's a false narrative. Yeah. And I think that they that kind of um, outlook on and whatever the property is just stupid. It's bigoted and it just doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Um, now that being said, I think that um, Disney and Marvel, as a company, plays on that for both sides. Sure. I think that they, because they know that it works, yeah. they want to draw up attention, they want to antagonize, and they also want to um, basically sell a product of like weaponized feminism because it it sells. Like it, it obviously people cr- are looking for that. We're on the right
1: side on too, one right? side. It helps that the message exactly. Yeah. Uh,
0: and they're, they're bringing a message of inclusion and, you know, positivity, but they also know that they're setting people off by, by making it so in your face and brash. And especially like uh, Brie Larson, she's obviously incredibly vocal about her politics and told the way that she feels. And, and there's a reason that they selected her as, as captain Marvel, because she embodies all that they're trying to sell with their messaging. So, it's an interesting game, and I think that uh, or it's an interesting strategy. And I think that it is ultimately, from up above, it is a game, and I don't think that they care one way or the other, and because they're looking at it from a dollars and cents perspective. Oh yeah. So, so I think it's it's kind of stupid to just wage a war and and like buying. This is why I completely reject this idea that buying a ticket is a protest to. The Neanderthals that are crying about this, just like I think it's completely stupid to to cry about it. On the other end, it's just like you're not making a statement by paying twenty dollars to a billion dollar yeah. <laughs> conglomerate, yeah. um monolithic yes. corporation. Yes. That's not a that's not a protest vote. Yeah, you're just buying their product. Right. So. Yeah,
1: no, that's true. Uh, I mean, look, this is it's market. It's a it's a good marketing tactic. I mean, I've, as a marketer, it's, I do it. It's a great marketing yes, tactic. Yes. This is yeah, because so. this is not a political group. Disney is not. Uh, no. They're they pro- They do not have a progressive agenda at Disney. Um, you, you know, otherwise they would they would pay employees a living wage, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> their their theme parks are operated Why? on the backs of unpaid interns. So I mean, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing. So you can they can they can use that just like the Gillette ad. Mm-hmm. We know that Gillette has played both sides of that oh, argument yes. for many, many, or f- well, they, they played one side up until this most recent ad campaign, and then now they're switching Let's, the script. Whatever's and most popular. now, property. exactly because they understand that if they put out this messaging, everyone's going to pay attention to them. That's right. And people are going to applaud them, and people are going to hate them. And that's you know, in 2019, that's the only way to exist to either be hated or loved. To be in the middle is pointless. Right. You're you're losing if you're
1: in the middle of that. So. so jumping back into the 90s nostalgia, what worked and what didn't. Uh, one other one that didn't work, and it's a big one, it's in the trailer, uh, she crash lands through a blockbuster. And for a lot <laughs> of reasons in recent years, we have associated blockbuster with this, like being this beacon or this icon of an era. And um, part of that is... Um, their ubiquitous, your ubiquity during that time, certainly everyone went to a blockbuster. I was certainly more of a Hollywood video guy, but uh, to be frank with you, I see Blockbuster now and in this movie, and I have this like PTSD where I just I start immediately thinking of the late fees that went unpaid. I'm like, I can't go in there, they're not gonna let me rent anything because I've got late fees. Uh, do but, you remember when they had a, a fee for not rewinding the movie? Oh, sure, <laughs> we can the Stoffer House, we considered buying those dedicated rewinders. That, we you know, not the yep. built-in in the VCR thing, but, like, you know, because my rich friends had those, right? Those things that were just mm-hmm. contraptions, just meant to rewind it, and they would do it very quickly. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that because we were famous for going, I mean, we would return it, and I, it was not rewound. And they would be so upset, the blockbuster people. It was just, I thought we were going to lose our membership. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, anyway, for, I mean, yes, it, it definitely represents an era. But they do it they do it in this way that's the kind of like a fawning when we need to like remind ourselves that like this was a company that refused to adapt absolutely resisted change uh they they this is they were not some sort of heroes of an era just because they were everywhere um right. and uh, and immediately after the blockbuster reference we get a radio shack reference that's just like they just pile on you know the guy in the there's a security guard sitting in a car listening to the song uh it's like i'm a man i'm a man i'm a whatever the yeah yeah, I might be getting the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. uh but uh, you know, contributing to the theme that we talked about before. But anyway, it's just showing the blockbuster and her landing, it's just kind of like, uh, what other store could we have done here? Like, Toys R Us would have been better. And again, not Heroes. KB Toys? Did you guys have KB a Toys. KB Toys? Yes. KB yeah. Toys. Why didn't she crash in uh, maybe a mall into a Walden Books? You know, like... what. <laughs> There's gotta be right. I mean, Tower Records. Tower Records. Have her crash. She she's Brie Larson's from Sacramento. Yes, she is. That would have been oh, what a nod. I would have loved. Yes, she is. Hashtag Sacramento proud. uh, And she she does tweet about that every now and then about the Sacramento Kings, which I'm grateful. She has not forgotten her roots, unlike Jessica Chastain. Um, But uh, but yeah, Brie Larson. Imagine her coming and being like, "Can we make this a Tower Records?" Ah, oh, I would have loved that. I, this movie, honestly, would have gone from a fifty-five, sixty to like eighty-five for me. Like just that reference alone. But anyway, um, so that, that, that one didn't work as well for me. But what did was Stanley's cameo. Did you catch what was going on in that scene? What he was. Oh yeah, okay. that was it's
0: brilliant. It's my favorite cameo. My favorite Stanley cameo of all time. Walk us it's through it. Perfect. Yeah, so um, the whole scene is uh, one of the shapeshifter scrolls mm-hmm. has made his way onto a subway car. Um, and so Bree breaks into the car and she's walking through the, the subway and everyone is reacting to her. Obviously, they're scared of this woman in a giant rubber suit who crashed through their subway car. Um, and then you cut to an old man with a script open. Mm-hmm. And on the outside of the script, it says mall rats. <laughs> and you hear Stanley reciting his famous lines from the movie Mallrats. Isn't that, isn't um that it's, is it's amazing. It's perfect. It's got to be the best. And well, so that's it's it's perfect because again, era appropriate. The movie yes. came out in the mid 90s. Um and Stanley was in the movie. Yeah. Stanley was in the movie. That's the first time I ever saw Stanley Lee by the way, was in Mallrats. Oh really? I had no idea who he was before then. Oh wow. Other than the name. So that Yeah, it was great to see him alive again for a second and yeah. then so the interesting thing is they they uh they show him saying his lines and then he looks up at her and they cut back to her yeah. and she gives him like a knowing smile yeah. so which was uh yeah that was a i guess that was a tribute to the fallen stanley yeah shannon
1: uh you know a friend of the pod and occasional guest host uh she sent us a link uh, about that cameo specifically i mean they had um, from what I understand, Stanley had gone into some probably green screen room and filmed uh, just towards the end of his life, just a whole host of uh, different types of cameos for both the planned films as well as probably just ones that are generic enough that they could plug into movies. Uh, this one seems planned yeah. because it's obviously specific to 90s. Um, but her reaction shot was, a part of the uh, pickup shoots, um, which happened actually after he had passed away. And so they wanted a more kind of reverential, but knowing nod. Otherwise it was apparently a pretty quick cameo. Like he's reciting the lines, but she's not even looking at him. And so uh, they had her actually react and smile, uh, which I thought was a nice touch. I mean, it breaks the fourth wall a little bit, but that's fine. I mean, I I thought it worked. Um, It's great. And then also the movie starts with a kind of an homage to Stanley as well. Which is great. Uh, I wonder how many more of Stanley are, like, are, are, should we presume there's one in Endgame? I wonder when they're going to, like, they're probably going to let us know beforehand, like, okay, they, we've run out.
0: Oh, this is going to be like, I don't know if you remember when Tupac died, oh. but for the next 10 years, we got a new Tupac album every year. Oh, my gosh. So this is going <laughs>
1: to This is gonna be like that. <laughs> are there going to be conspiracy theories that Stanley is still alive? Is that also going to? I think he is. I think Stanley is still alive. Uh, he's, so. na- he's in heaven with Tupac. Uh, Yeah. Oh, and
0: also there was like a big thing on social media where, uh, so Kevin, the director of Mallrats, Mm -hmm. Kevin Smith, um, he posted a photo right after he saw um, Captain Marvel, and the photo was a selfie of him, teary-eyed and wild-haired, and he in the caption it said uh, he's basically just thanking the the Marvel team or the directing team and everyone involved with Captain Marvel um, for for what they did, and he didn't really give it away too much but uh yeah he was just
1: very effusive in his praise and now i understand why because it's the best of the cameo it's rats. the best <laughs> stanley cameo in any of these films like it's really great yeah. it's yeah. P- specific to the movie it's a really good nod and if we're going to keep doing these things which are fun like you know that's for me that's just the most creative one they've done i thought it was great he actually i think it's the only one where he's at, he, like in the movie he's stan lee that's you know, Iron Man you yes, Hugh Hefner exactly. and you know, like or a, just a random bus driver or doing other And that one it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is Stanley. Because he's practicing. a security well. guard. Yeah, a security guard. I think guard, he's right. played a security guard a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah. So uh other okay, so I want to move on to other if you had any other nineties references or nostalgia you want to go into. Uh, um
0: not specifically. I just feel like the sound the soundtrack was really well done because mm-hmm. like I said, they didn't use the
1: the songs that you would immediately think of the it, 90s. With, the, but with a couple it really, of exceptions, right? It was, with it was, a couple of exceptions. Just, I feel like when they make decisions like that, the people, maybe the, the directors, were like, no, we don't need Smells Like Teen Spirit. We're going to go with these other ones that are still well-known, but, but on, not so like on the nose. And, but then, and even in that sequence when they, when they use the Nirvana yeah. song, it is so ham-fisted. It, so bad. it, it didn't need I to just be done. feel like it's a producer note. Someone has to be like, Let's, we really want to make sure they know that this is the 90s. Right.
0: Well, and also they make a point to say that she's dressing grunge, yeah. which is obviously a 90s motif. Yep. Um so they had to just throw that Nirvana
1: in there, I guess. So very very lazy, very on the nose. I know. Um, it's it's uh, pretty bad. I do want to go over one other positive of the film. We have uh I mean one of the criticisms, I think a little bit in this film is that they're they are trying to jam in too much. Uh there's there's a lot of story, but, like, you know, things don't become clear what's going on until well into the movie. One of those things is there is this conflict between these two alien races, the Kree and the Skrulls. And for much of the film, you think one is the good and one is the bad, and then you realize it's it's the reverse. And uh, But there's, like, a whole backstory of why these are two feuding peoples, and it's pretty unclear uh, for most of the movie what's going on. And they don't dedicate a ton of time to it. Um, and I, I realize that there's probably challenges to that. But the uh, the Cree and the scroll, um, and now I don't want to get too controversial on you, but to me, it seemed very analogous to a uh, current uh, generations-long <laughs> I mean, conflict uh, on Earth, which is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, they made enough references about uh, one being a, a kind of refugee's or being controlled and one uh, kind of policing them. They talk a lot about borders. They talk a lot about, and there's enough references that I was like, to me, it was clear. It's like, Oh, the Cree here is emblematic of Israel where uh, the scroll. Well, yeah,
0: the, the, the main guy, yeah. the main guy from the Cree, he calls the scrolls terrorists. He does. Yeah. So,
1: and, the, and, and so, I mean,
0: yeah. it's a, it's a lot of allusion to it. And then the flat out calls them terrorists. So, so do you
1: agree? Did you get that? Did you feel that same sense watching it?
0: I got one hundred percent loud and clear. That was the message that I took from it, and uh, which is interesting yeah. because, like you said in the movie, it ends up that the Cree are the bad guys. Yes, they are. So it, it's just it's kind of a radical take for a movie yeah. as mainstream as any of these Marvel movies.
1: So yes, and I mean, look, we're, we are in a climate where uh, even the most mild criticism of Israel is um, is taken as anti semitism and, and is and is being, you know, punished to the you know greatest extent imaginable for, you know, we're seeing this with politicians and, you know, I'm not going to my personal opinions on that conflict per se, but uh, for them to, for, for them to make what I think is a very overt comparison and to make that comparison to Israel, that same group, the bad guys in the movie is pretty remarkable uh, for an otherwise risk adverse. Uh, company like Disney and the MCU. And so I thought maybe either I'm reading too into this and maybe it's recency bias, or maybe they were able to get that message by the producers without them realizing it. But, um, what do you think? I mean, yeah, so I, I,
0: I don't, so I don't think that they, um, I really don't think the people that make big decisions like that even consider okay. the deeper undertones to a message. I think that they're looking for, the message on face value because Mm. that's what sells i don't think you're going to sell a movie based on undertones or imply implications basically um so i think they can get away with something like that which is as controversial as the palestinians versus israeli debate um and also uh, like it's not just that there's a conflict there as Mm -hmm. far as borders and imperialism goes i mean you look at america yeah Um, we're trying to build a wall apparently between our border to the South. Um, Meanwhile, we don't care about the border to the North. We only care about the South. Um, (laughs) so I think, I think maybe that's the first thing that came to their minds. Anyone up above when they hear borders and, and, uh, basically imperialism and, um, these, these themes that are a lot heavier and more applicable to actual real life conflicts than, than you would imagine. So, I think it was a bold choice, I do too. and I applaud them for making. I it. do too. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think you're right. There, there's it probably could be analogous to several different conflicts that are going on. Uh, I just think inching too close to that one, in, especially in Hollywood, can you know uh, be major hot water for people. Uh, but I, I'm grateful for them to even make that analogy or to just oppose the that like make it more like things that are happening here. And whether or not you agree with their take on it, I think it's great to to work in real life. Themes as long as it's to the benefit of the story, and in this case, I do think it was it. It needed that explanation um, to kind of have the the motivation correct for uh, Captain Marvel. Um, <laughs> right. It, well, and that's
0: the other thing. So, sure, her her role in the movie is what we find out is she's a protector, and yes. she like her, her mission in life is to find these these um, people that don't have a home, to find them a new home. Like that's her goal, and so that's her purpose and it's a noble purpose and i think that's it's one of the more interesting angles um she's not just someone that's fighting crime she's looking to help these displaced people um she wants to find them some new place to live which is interesting yeah i wonder why she had to go all around the universe though to find a new home for them yeah i wonder i know it's got to be i mean it can't be can't be that hard. Yeah, I mean, right? You could, I mean, are there that, you could that many planets that aren't just, suitable? I mean you could just put them on Mars,
1: really. <laughs> yeah, as far as we know, Mars has got plenty of room. Uh yeah. <laughs> very little life. Uh they got water though. Yeah, they should sure cool. do. Yeah. Shout out to the rover. They got
0: a billion dollar piece of equipment. Uh, exactly the <laughs> rover, a billion dollar <laughs> rover up there.
1: <laughs> um one other
0: um Did you like did you like all the uh the fact that um her character is apparently a, a tech wizard. Mm. She could just hack into anything. She could um, make intergalactic phone calls okay. using a payphone.
1: Yeah. So look, I mean, maybe it's getting nitpicky, but <laughs> <laughs> I am surprised the comms, how easily the comms situation on earth is similar and transferable to the intergalactic comms of the Cree people. Because really, it's like yeah. buying those dongles that like when Apple changes the ports, you know, you just got to get the dongle to plug in the headphone. It's a little like she's got her yeah. Cree dongles and she just plugs into the K phones. It's like, oh, I can make a call across the galaxy now um, or any communication device. You know, you just put on a little a transcoder. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah.
0: Did you think it was a good bit when they uh, they had the operator break in and say, you need mm-hmm. you need to uh, whatever it was, put in more coins yeah. or whatever?
1: Yes. Yeah, you know, I would have been totally fine had they bro <laughs> how, if they would have chose to not make that realistic and uh <laughs> very very bad. Can their transcoders or transponders just override the need to pump in more quarters? I mean, how how advanced <laughs> these cree people seem pretty advanced but not that advanced, I guess. Mm, uh, apparently not. Anyway, uh um one last thing I want to talk about on the negative side. Did you have any other positives that were worth pointing out?
0: Positives, I, should- I think um no, that's it. <laughs> I'm trying to I mean, think we've of been, like,
1: We've been, I, I mean, we've been properly critical, but also I feel like we've been good at outlining what we did like about it. I mean, yeah.
0: Right. And so I think, um, the, the, had this been the first Marvel movie that I'd ever seen, I'd probably like it a lot more. Yeah, I'll that's just true. just put it that
1: way. The bar is high.
0: The bar is super high at this point, and it's all stuff that, it's all, any sort of origin comic book hero is a retread yes. at this point,
1: so- well, it currently sits at, um, 80, like I said, 80% of Rotten Tomatoes. There's only five other films of the, of the 21 in the MCU. Only five have a worse score. Uh, it has a worse score than Thor, the first one, uh, which is 77%. Age of Ultron, which is the second Avengers, which is 75 Iron Man 2, which I seem to be higher on than most people, uh, 73 Incredible Hulk at 67, and then Thor the Dark World at 66. Um, Those are the five. So, I mean, honestly, out of those ones, I do think Thor the Dark World is worse. Probably the Incredible Hulk. Uh, And for me, it's probably on par with Age of Ultron. Uh, I liked the first Thor more, though. Um, not one of my favorites, certainly, but it's, I I think at the very least it told a story that was far less convoluted and a little more straightforward. Um, Uh,
0: yeah. So when they do, you know how they do the super, um, the film festival where they show all like 20 Marvel movies before Will will you be, um, looking when you do that? Because I know you're going to do that before the next one. Mm -hmm. Um, will you be looking forward to watching this movie again to Captain Marvel?
1: Yeah. <sighs> um. We'll see. The thing is, is when they do it, it's it'll be leading up to the newest one, right? Which in this case, it's true, is Endgame. So I think what will help is that it's the last one to watch, and so I'll be excited because we're at the end, and the Endgame's up next. And so I'll be. I think because of that, it's like you know, it's Christmas Eve. It's like you know, it's right before uh the big day. You the know, the longest day of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly I look f- I really think that even though this origin story was just um, it was in a lot of ways was botched I, I, I am looking forward to seeing Carol Danvers in a film um, that doesn't have to tell the origin story again like I actually think that the, the next one really has a chance to be good because uh, the, the f- this character that understands who they are and has their recollection and, and knows you know what their purpose is is going to be much more fun to watch, which leads me to my last question and concern for you is uh, Carol Danvers. Veers. I don't know exactly what we're supposed to call her now. Probably not her Kree name. Um, is she too powerful of a superhero? Because what was her <laughs> kryptonite?
0: Like We don't. It's never been determined. Um,
1: okay. Yeah. We don't. So she, she shoots lasers out. out of her arms and I think uh out of her eyes probably. She can
0: Yeah, she can she has superpowers, yeah. she can fly at the speed of light. Um so she Superman. can destroy it's any sort woman.
1: Of I mean it's That's right. Strength she is super flight, lasers. Yeah.
0: Invulnerable I mean she can't be stopped. So how do you make that character interesting? Because um, she has the Tesseract energy. It's, it's to be determined.
1: So yeah. so we will see her again at the end. You didn't stay for the end credits, but we see her arrive um, at the, you know, now defunct S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters where Captain America uh, and Black Widow and Rhodey, uh, War Machine, you know, they're there kind of pouting about their friends who are gone and they're just kind of like going day to day, whatever. And then they see the I'm trying to remember exactly what it was but like the transponder that uh, we see at the end of um, Infinity War. Uh, we see Nick Fury before he turns the desk he hits that little basically the pager pager and so yeah. they see that or something like that and they uh black widow turns and then Carol Danvers is right there standing next to her and she basically is like what's going on how can i help like you know what happened to Nick Fury and and um and then it ends and it says that Carol Danvers will uh, will appear again in Avengers Endgame and everyone cheered uh and so my question is is Okay, Thanos has already wiped out half the people, and Thanos is living in some sort of paradise. I don't really know if that's on Earth or where that is. I'm actually a little bit confused about where he's hanging out. I don't know if it's like in the Amazon or if he's like, what he's doing. Um, but now we have Carol Danvers. Um, how would Thanos stop her? I mean, she's basically her own Infinity Gauntlet. I mean, I don't understand. Like, does it make it, are the stakes less interesting now that we have an indestructible person, or didn't we already have that with Scarlet Witch and Vision? I, I,
0: I don't know. Oh, also, yeah. Well, a Thor is indestructible. Uh, he's, he oh, took a shot yeah. from a star. I guess unless you take his hammer, away, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, exactly. And, and so Incredible Hulk I, too. I guess
1: <laughs> 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 you can't die
0: when he wants to be the Hulk, yeah, but well, it, if he doesn't, yeah. then Man. he's just Mark Muff, uh, Mark Ruffalo. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how you make someone like that interesting. Mm. I, DC has struggled that with Superman. Yeah, I mean and superman has kryptonite she doesn't even have kryptonite That's true. so it it's i mean it apparent, apparent to me uh is that she's going to be the one that stops thanos um i don't know how she does it but it's going to be her uh just because she's so powerful mm-hmm. apparently she's the most powerful being in in the MCU at this point. Wow. So uh, yeah. uh, makes sense. Yeah. I, and I don't, I don't think that you can make an interesting movie with someone that has no vulnerability. Uh, yeah. I guess you can make them emotionally vulnerable or psychologically vulnerable, but, um, if, if you can't stop them physically,
1: it's just not as interesting. Right. So, well, I guess we just need Dr. Strange to try. Did he disappear at the end? I don't remember if he was among the disappeared. I don't, I I think I got to watch it again because I don't remember who disappeared and who stuck around. Uh, Yeah, I think he disappeared. I know all the original crew stuck around, but I don't know where the line is drawn of like the new eight, you know, but he probably disappeared. But we just need to get that time zone, turn the turn the clocks, let Carol just go to town Um, or maybe turn the clocks and have uh, Star Lord not get emotional in that moment. And that plan would have worked because was a pretty smart plan. And then you win. Um, So I don't know. There's. It seems to be multiple areas uh, that this could happen. I, I guess Doctor Strange did say there's one path of like success, and so two hundred million. Oh yeah, yeah, right. And so that path is is with Captain Marvel. So, I mean, I am excited for Endgame. I think even though I thought that the end of Infinity War was a total ruse, you know, and you're just kind of like okay, you know, cool that half the people are dead, but they're not really dead because they're all coming back, and because they all have multi million dollar franchises to continue. And so it's just kind of a fake out. That's a little bit annoying, but I still enjoyed the movie overall. So I'm looking forward to that. I really hope Captain Marvel um, is able to contribute in good, meaningful ways and, uh, and that they do her character, that the Russos do her character more justice than the folks that made Captain Marvel did. So here's to hoping.
0: Yeah. I I don't think that she's, I don't think that her backstory was particularly interesting and I don't, I don't think that her um, superpowers are particularly interesting because they're too powerful. So I, I, they have a real challenge on their hands, as far as I'm concerned, in making me interested in the character. Yeah. so well.
1: But everyone else loved it, so what do they care? Yeah. <laughs> well, America we'll, loved this character, so we'll be back in two months to uh, I mean, not for the next pod, but to, to, talk, to pick up this thread of the conversation to talk about that film and about her, her kind of role in particular. So anything else? Aaron on uh, Captain Marvel?
0: Thumbs down. Thumbs down. I'm starting a new thing, and this is uh, I'm trademarking. Bearsy, bad. I'm putting my yeah. I'm putting my thumb down. Thumb is down. In, refer- <laughs> in reference to this movie, just
1: one thumb down. One thumb down.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't. I would say don't go
1: see this movie oh. unless you absolutely love Mar MCU. The thing stuff, is, is so, so many people are a part of this. You know, the, they are the MCU ride, and it's, they're gonna want to watch Endgame and. Do you need to watch this film in order to watch Endgame? Maybe not. Um, you could probably read the paragraph. I'm gonna actually. say no. You know what? Now that I think about it, it's absolutely not required.
0: <laughs> you, you
1: absolutely not. It's totally not. It's not required. Read, you,
0: you could read uh-huh. the Wikipedia entry to
1: this character, and you, you are set. Oh my gosh! Because it's not gonna I get in say- the Kree scroll stuff. It's not at all. No.
0: Mm-mm. Don't see this movie for Captain Marvel. See this movie for de-aged Sam Jackson. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, now you're sounding like a proud boy. But <laughs> 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 go for the man. Yeah, I'm proud of my boy Sam. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for watching it, despite your general, uh, you know, avoidance of these types of comic book movies. Uh, so we could do this pod. I'm kind of looking forward.
0: I'm kind of looking forward to the Spider-Man Homecoming, though. Uh, I like this bike. The, the Far From Home?
1: That's the one. Yeah. 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 We already saw Homecoming, but uh, far, far From Home, yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in it as well, for sure. So, all right, man. Thanks so much. Uh, people listening, if you love this film and think that we were too hard on it, honestly, I would love to hear from you at Brave Little Pod. Tweet us. Let us know where we were wrong. Or if you agree, let us know. Either way, give us feedback and we'll mail you a t shirt because. I found the box of Brave Little t-shirts that I had in my garage. Uh, anyone listening <laughs> to this? If we owe you a t-shirt, uh, DM us. <laughs> give us your address. Just give us your – there you I'll go. ship it to you. Uh, I promise I won't sell Tweet that shame at us. anywhere else. Um, yeah. Call us out. Cancel us. Yeah, yeah, Please. yeah. Cancel culture. what this is. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Have a good night. Good stuff.
0: Thank you for listening to the Brave Little Podcast. Hold on to your butts.